Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off podcast. In today's episode, I've got Martin with me. We're going to talk about all things firewalls. Uh, Martin, how did you become the expert in firewalls that you are? Oh my goodness, I started back about 20 odd years ago. Uh, Originally, I was a chef. I got into IT. I got the bug, found a company that was interested in me, and they trained me all the way up uh, into the IT world, teaching me about TCP IP. I learned everything and really just got absorbed myself into it. Uh, And then uh, 10 years ago, I was lucky to join with WatchGuard, Mm -hmm. and uh, Little Red Boxes have been my little passion ever since. So, yeah, about 20 odd years ago was when I got into firewalls, and they keep changing constantly. So it sounds like a lot of a lot of hands-on experience and a lot of working with the tech to to understand how it actually works, as opposed to like an academic background. Oh, very much so. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm now showing my age when when I started in IT. You know, the Millennium Bug was the big thing, if we all remember that. Uh, but it was a case of uh, I started in support. I I took those calls. I worked my way up. I turned into a consultant. I did installations. You know, I went through the hard ways of went deploying firewalls and actually trying to do VPNs when VPNs used to cost lots of money. You know, nowadays anyone can deploy a VPN. It's quite straightforward. In fact, YouTube makes it even easier nowadays. And But it's one of those things of doing security well. And that's something I was brought up by uh, my um, old CISO. I mean, we used to say he knew everything, even how many can- how many beans were in a, uh, in a <laughs> can of uh, baked peas, you know. Yeah. But, his thing was all about layers. Security is all about layers. So when you look at a firewall, it's not just something that, you know, blocks things. You've got to have the different layers in place to protect the network. And that's what he was all about. And I think, you know, still to this day, that matters. So that's where I come from on that side. So I guess it's one of the things where we have maybe the misconception of, of how firewalls work or maybe like the, the kind of mental image that people have for firewalls. Uh, and that isn't necessarily the case. So... Um, for example, a lot of people think that you put a firewall on the network perimeter and that's that, right? One firewall, internet facing. Yeah. Is, is there more to yeah. it? or? Oh, definitely. I mean, look, the, the days when a firewall was just there to block and allow ports to go through was when the internet used to play fair. I mean, I don't know if anyone remembers the, um, you know, the messenger device, uh, apps used to have on machines. Yeah. And they all used to have their own proprietary ports that they used to use. So if you didn't want your staff to go to use those apps, you just block the port and everything worked. Yeah. You know, it worked really well. Nowadays, everything goes out on 443. You know, uh, there, there's so many different holes that anyone can have through. And, you know, your basic firewall would never be able to stop that. So if you think of it in a way, the firewalls have to go to that next level. They have to be able to not only just look at the layer seven, look at the application side of things. They now also have to look at, you know, stuff that's coming in, not just the case of the ports, but we're also having to say to people, look, how you virus check these things. You have to use things like, uh, you know, signatures. You have to use, you know, uh, uh, polymorphic engines. Uh, you have to use um, sandbox technology. You have to use different layers and that's all about that layer effect, you know, being able to actually sit there and going layer upon layer upon layer. And that's giving you the different types of security. Yeah. And even down to the basic firewalls now, you know, they're the HTTP servers. Why? Well, because it means they can see everything. Yeah. You have to log everything so you can see everything. 
URL filtering. We, you know, that's probably one of the biggest services that we gets turned on on our firewalls is what websites are my employees going to? But why? Because at the end of the day, it's time. It's all about, you know, protecting the users, even down to saying, right, this site has got, you know, is known to be a hacking site. This site has got malicious script on there. Do not allow my users to go there to keep them safe. So the evolving is happening. So, yeah, firewalls are not just your traditional blocker port, layer port. It's using all the different security services now to try and help protect the network. And it's not just having one at the perimeter anymore. Mm -hmm. It's having ones around mm -hmm. the network. Yeah. You know, so, giving people So why then? I mean, like I, I stated it. You don't, you don't just put them on the perimeter. It's more complicated than that. You've agreed with me there. You've you got to put them elsewhere as well. Um, why would a company need more firewalls than just the network perimeter? And when you say you've got to put them around the network, uh, what is the purpose of that? What are we trying to protect against? Okay, so you think of, uh, okay, uh, we have intelligent property that we own. And you have things like virtual machines. You have virtual servers that are running uh, maybe uh, R&D and stuff like that. Putting a firewall on a virtual infrastructure means that you then can control who has access to those services and that server and the places where files get stored. Uh, a prime example is like, uh, think of a TV show. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, the biggest thing is if uh, a TV show has post-production, pre-production, and all those different the script editors and stuff like that. So you want to be able to firewall off those different areas, making sure that no one has that one access to be able to get everything. That there is literally uh, protected because at the end of the day, if that TV show got leaked out onto the onto the internet, God forbid, something like Doctor Who or something like that, mm -hmm. it would be catastrophic to that business because you know that's how they make their money. And it's the same with any any other business that you make that you have to be able to protect not just also also things like the workstations. The workstations now we're even starting to get to the point where you know Windows put a firewall on Windows and everyone's like, oh please no, but it's getting to the <laughs> point where. <laughs> you remember we always used to turn the Windows firewall off, please. But you're looking at the antiviruses now. They're putting firewalls on there and controlling it centrally in a way that you can actually now try and protect it. Because, look, I have a laptop. My mm -hmm. laptop right now, I'm in my home office like most people because of COVID. But if I go to Starbucks and decide to go and have a coffee and I take my laptop and I don't have a firewall on that, what am I doing? I'm leaving myself so exposed. So you have to start thinking... Firewalls are not just something that you put on the perimeter. It protects your servers, even protecting your workstations and being able to make sure that you can see and have the visibility. Because if you can see that data leaving and the data coming in, you have a better understanding of what's going on in your network. That's, like, that's one of the key bits. That, that's such a big point that you raised there. And it's something that you know I've talked about a lot on the podcast, actually, about um, the, the way that you know threat actors, be them criminal hackers or be it just pen testers, you know, we will do things like um, talking to organizations about, well, what's the stance of a, a company laptop when it's on a network, like, you know, be it Starbucks or in the airport or something like that. Because very, very often companies, when they, when they look at the way their systems are laid out, they presume, you know, those end user devices are in their network and therefore protected by their network firewall. But when people are working from home, working remotely, working on the move, and that isn't necessarily the case. And very often, like I, I find that, I don't know about you, but I find that um, just an overlooked aspect of security, those kind of horse-based firewalls. Yeah, I mean, it's getting to that point. I mean, you think about right now the situation we're in. We're in COVID, you mm -hmm. know, semi-COVID, people are slowly coming back to work. Yep. But 
The problem is there was this big mad rush to get laptops to their employees. So they all could work from home. And then it was like, OK, get everyone connected back to the office so they could work. So they all then found ways of trying to get VPNs working, mobile VPNs. But what a lot of people instantly forgot was what's protecting that laptop yeah. in the network that we have no control over? Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, they're in a home environment. Now, I have teenage kids. My son... I'm going to say is, uh, well, he's a very good boy, but let's put it into the other concept. <laughs> he could be one of those ones that likes to download those bad things, and he's got an effective la laptop. We don't yeah. know. Mummy and Daddy don't know about this thing. So that means that it's on a dirty network. I'm bringing this laptop home, and I'm joining the corporate network, but that corporate laptop could be infected by something that's else on the network. So you need to actually think of how are we protecting those remote workers because they're not on your network. They don't have a big, expensive firewall protecting them. They have a BT Home Hub or other motors available. You know, <laughs> So we have to look at it in that other way and go, right, we need to put some form of security in place to make sure that that laptop stays safe because we don't have any control of what they're connecting to. You might as well just imagine that that laptop is raw on the Internet. That's your best way of protect, uh, thinking about it because then you're buying to do something. Yeah, I think that's that's a big point because people often think, you know, uh, when when they're building networks and things like that, you think of your, your your network perimeter being, you know, maybe a VPN terminator or something like that. But actually, what what you're saying right now is, well, no, those devices that are connecting into that VPN, um, those are on untrusted networks. You know, you, you use the, the term dirty network that way. It's a really good way of thinking about it. It's just like you don't really know as a business what what is on that network. And it could be somebody malicious. It could be somebody connecting just on a, a you know an unsecured network. Or it could be somebody who's just got another device on the same network that's infected. Yeah. And it's, it's a good thing that you, I think people are now slowly waking up to the point of if we're in this for a long haul, if people are going to be working from home more often, because they're even saying now in London that, that you know only people are going to go into the office three days a week and two days a week work from home. Yeah. We need to be more mobile. We need to be able to think outside that box to look after those users. But we need to also give users a way to make sure we can identify who they are when they come in. Because remember, it's all about not only just protection, but it's also knowing that that person that's logging in is who they say they are. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, previously, I mean, okay, it's slight tangent. We think of firewalls and everything else, but we also got to think of authentication. We've got to think of people's passwords and stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> I saw this uh, great sketch from Michael McIntyre where he was like talking about mm -hmm. our one original password. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see that one? It's hilarious. And so true. People do do that. I show that to my wife, and my wife had a white face going, oh, what? But it's, you know, we think about, you know, we need to take this to another level. We need to make it easy for people to use, but also be able to know who that person is. And, you know, if they're working from home, give them that extra push. Make sure they're doing some form of MFA, you know, but also making sure their laptop, then when they unlock it, they have to prove who they are to say who that, you know, to be yeah. able to log on to it. But, you know, at the end of the day, security has to be paramount. You can't make it too easy because you're making it too easy. You're making it easy for somebody else to do something to you. So there is that thing. I think um, firewalls are here to stay, definitely. But what they do and how they actually do it are getting cleverer. Yeah. But use it the best way you can.
So I think that's, uh, that's just for those who haven't seen the Michael McIntyre sketch, um, that is a really funny thing, and it's something that we've been talking about in pen testing for, for a very long time. He talks about the way that users build passwords, and the, the point that he's talking about really is, you know, you take your base dictionary word, you capitalize the first letter, and you add a number suffix, and that's how we end up with like password one and elephant one, two, three, and those kinds of things. And I think that's really a, a, a good thing to point out, because Whilst it's obvi- obvious to people who work in, you know, technical roles, sysadmins and things like that, they'll, they'll listen to this and say, oh, I don't have a password like that. My password is generated by a password manager or some other secure system. And of course, that's not what we're talking about, is it? It's all of the other staff who are working from home, working remotely, who, who don't do those things, who don't follow those best practices. And sometimes security awareness training has a place, but it's not a perfect solution. And just telling users to pick better passwords isn't necessarily going to drive that change. So yeah, I can definitely see a point around things like MFA and things like uh, reviewing the perimeter. Yeah, it's it's something that, um, you know, before here at WatchGuard, we used to sit there and we were just seen as a firewall vendor. And, you know, we, we've seen the world changing. It's yeah. evolving. It's constantly evolving. And having to be able to give people the, the ability to be able to do this stuff, do it simply in a way that's effective, but doesn't hinder people. That's something I always think is always key, that if you're going to implement, yeah. I mean, you, you only have to think back of the days of, uh, you know, remember when, when mobile phones, you didn't need to put a pin on it, uh, <laughs> you know, and Steve Jobs stood up and went, this is how you secure a phone and showed, you know, the fingerprint unlocking it. Everyone went, wow, let's unlock my phone that way. That's the best way of doing it. I mean, now my 72-year-old 70, father is uh, able to lock a phone. It's, it's amazing. But, you know, it, these are the things that people go if it's simple, they'll use it. It's security you know? versus convenience, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, I, I always talk to people about, you know, password managers in terms of, obviously, from our point of view, using a password manager, massive security benefit. But also from the user's point of view, it's really convenient. Remembers passwords yeah. for you. And, you know, you're, you're, you're mentioning, you know, biometrics here. So Twitch ID, Face ID on the Apple side of things and um, other similar solutions. They're really easy. They're really easy to use. Um, you know, uh, typing a long secure password into a mobile device i mean it's a tiny <laughs> little keyboard like it's so frustrating yeah yeah but we got a got touch idea a similar solution um you're bringing a similar level of security whilst also allowing the user to just do their job yeah i mean i have like when i log onto my laptop now uh it's a i turn it on i type my username my domain password so there's one password mm-hmm. i need to remember and then I get a push authentication if I've got internet connection onto yeah. my watch to say, are you who you say you are? Yeah. You're trying to log in with. And I go, yes, approve. I love that. I didn't even have to find my phone. My watch goes, boom, thank you, yeah. I'm in. The only other password I need to know is to view the password to unlock my vault on my yeah. password. The rest of my passwords, I don't know what they are. They're all generated. All in the password all 20 manager. characters long. I don't care. I don't want to know. There is, that's the way that I think the world should be. There is a, a funny thing to, to, to kind of bring the balance in here. I was, I was doing a, an engagement with a customer recently where um, the phishing exercise was, was part of it. And the customer was absolutely adamant that a phishing attack would be unsuccessful because they use, as you describe, a push notification to the mobile device. So when you log in, it pops up on the yeah. user's mobile device and they have to hit approve. Uh, we were successful with a small number of accounts that we did get some hits and they were absolutely staggered. And then we went back to the staff members and asked, you know, what happened? Why did you approve this login at three o'clock in the morning kind of thing? And the staff member said, well, whenever that pops up, I always hit approve. 
Um, That's what I've always done. And obviously, there's there's the the technical solution is good there, but it doesn't mean that you know it's it's perfect. Yeah. There still needs to be a. a uh, I, I guess it's security awareness training, but like explaining to the user what that is and what that means. But it is also that thing. It proves that the human being is still the weakest link because we tend to do the most silliest things. I mean, yeah. why would you approve something when you're supposed to be sleeping? That's that's yeah, the thing yeah. that And we, you know, we're looking at the next levels where we're having to look at things like geolocations. Where is the device at this moment in time versus where the person last logged in? Yeah. You know, could they travel from Hong Kong to Sydney in less than an hour? Yeah. Not possible. Can't be them. But you know, that's that's the uh, thing that the next levels of security is going to have to go to. Um, bar from us having implants into our fingers or something like that, which uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that doesn't happen just yet. I don't think I'm ready for that one. Yeah, it might but, not be. Uh, might not be far off. There's some some cutting edge uh, biohackers out there who are doing things like RFID chips in the hand, aren't there? There is. There's one guy I listened to on um, a podcast, and mm-hmm. I think he's got five in one hand. Oh, that's convenient. Can, <laughs> yes, very convenient. And he can actually unlock his car. And he, the only thing he can't do is do credit card payments because the credit card people won't approve it yet. Yeah, that is, like, a, that is a funny thing that we mentioned earlier. You need to put firewalls around the network. And, and you mentioned it from the, the point of view of uh, the different uh, access levels that different staff members might have. But, it, but it's true in this context as well. We, we perform physical access assessments and outside of a global pandemic. Um, you know, we do the breaking into buildings thing, and we might do something like an RFID attack, spoof a ID card, something like that, gain access to a network. And for a lot of organizations, we're on the inside of the perimeter then. Whereas if you look at a more granular network level where you have segmentation using firewalls around the network, you're still restricting us, right? You're still blocking the, the threat actor, be it a, a criminal or a pen tester. And, but a lot of organizations don't do that. It's just on the perimeter, and you gain access to the building, and that's it you're in. But if you think about it, you look at the architecture of some networks, you'll see ones that are so flat. Yeah. They're the ones that worry me because <laughs> they're the right for the picking. Because, look, if you've got a flat network, for those that don't know, if you haven't got if you've not got it VLAN and segregated off, yeah. that's a flat network you're running. That's my worst nightmare because all it takes is one machine to come in or one packet to yeah. come in and they have access to everything. It's yeah. like, done. I've got to have a, a big rant here about a customer that I had a, a disagreement with recently where, uh, you know, we, we stated a recommendation of you should segment your network. And, and they took offense to that because they said, we have segmented our network. We've VLAN'd everything off. You know, each building is a different VLAN and all of those kinds of things. But of course, there was no firewalls between those VLANs. It was just inter VLAN oh. routing. So yes, it is technically correct that they had segmented the network in, in, from the network engineering side of things there was no actual access control between them see now there, there's the big thing i bet you they sat there and thought they brought all their vlans all the way up to their switches and this is where a switch engineer is really not going to like me because i'm a yep. firewall engineer <laughs> uh, because switch engineers will always say that you you do all your acls on a switch yeah no don't do it on a switch why because a switch doesn't tell you anything all you're going to see is actually traffic and disappear and your firewall doesn't see it. Bring all your VLANs all the way up to the firewall. Why? Because then it gives you the visibility. You can use your rules to actually say, yeah. from this network to this network is allowed this traffic or this person to this person. And secondly, it gives you the logs. And that's the most crucial thing because, you know, if that day comes that there was that breach, there was mm-hmm. that time that something happened, no logs, no views, no one knows what happened. 
But here, you bring it up to the firewall. The firewall logs everything, mm-hmm. providing you tell it to. Yep. And that means that someone can actually go in and work out what happened when and stuff like that. That is so, that is a, a big thing that I, I don't see very often um, on networks. So, so what we very often see with networks is um, an organization, you know, blocks traffic. They have access control lists. They can, um, you know, uh, filter traffic. But they're not necessarily doing anything with the logs or paying any attention to the logs. So, so say they are using ACLs at the, at the switch level, at the access layer. Um, they, might, they might block that activity, but then they don't take any action. So if there's somebody on the network doing you know, port scanning or, or, or trying to jump, jump between client machines, yes, it's an important thing to block it, but it's also a really important thing to know about it. And yeah. to say like, oh, there's somebody in the network doing really bad things. We should probably take some additional action. Well, we we had a product called um, Dimensions, which is okay. our log and report server. Uh, we now have moved it to the cloud. It's really cool. But it's, it's got this uh, Firewatch view. Mm-hmm. And one thing I used to say to all my customers is get yourself a nice big screen, stick it on your wall, and put the Firewatch view on your wall. And they go, why? I said, look, how do you know when you get hacked? Or how do you know when something's not quite yeah. right? First thing you're going to think is, my internet's running slow. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not being funny, they not may not be getting the stuff out when you're working, or they may not be getting it out in such a way that it kills your internet. They may be getting out in dribs and drabs and stuff like that. I mean, come on, Sony didn't even notice as half their network did, disappeared yeah. when they were leaking out through their firewall. Why? Because they weren't lo- looking at their logs. Yeah. So my thing is, you need to look at what's normal. And then when you see what's normal, you'll understand what's not normal and having it in a way that's visible, so actually be able to see it graphically, having to see it, mm-hmm. it because look, firewall logs, I I got contracted many, many years ago, I had to go to Canary Wharf, and my job for two days a week was to sit there and watch uh, checkpoint firewall logs for two yep. days a week. All I've got to say is the most boringest job ever, watching firewall <laughs> logs are no fun, yeah. it was before days of graphics, so you know, I'm having to really strain the eyes. Nowadays, you can see these things graphically. Now you can keep an eye on seeing what applications people are using. You can see where people are going to. And seeing this graphically means that you're able to actually understand your network. And any good sysadmin will understand their network, what sort of traffic they expect to see on a Friday. And they'll know that seeing that sort of traffic is normal. And then they'll get that gut feel that that's not quite right. And who was he doing? And they'll investigate. Yeah. And that's the thing. You can't just deploy a firewall and then walk away, and that's it. There is no. um, there is a really good example of this, though, that, that's public knowledge so people can look up. Um, when when TalkTalk Talk got breached in 2015, the, the long story short there, SQL injection attack, um, there's a, uh, a clip of the, the CEO at the time talking to the, to the media on, on TV and explained that at the start of the breach, the only thing that they knew that was wrong was their web systems were running slowly. So as you say here, as you know, like, oh, well, you just notice some odd behavior, be it a slow system or, or something misbehaving. Um, and then actually being able to, to drill down into that and work out what's actually happening. Um, that, that was something that the CEO in that instance said. It was just like, hey, things were slow. We knew something was wrong, but we didn't, we didn't know what. And is that a system, you know, not performing well? Is it something benign, like a full disk? Or is it something like somebody's raiding our databases and taking all our confidential data? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. You, you've got to be able to make sure that you are, you know, keep an eye on what's going on. I mean, a lot of people sit there going, but Martin, our IT, we, we're a small band. We mm-hmm. don't have time mm-hmm. to have someone that just sits there and watch logs. I'm not saying that. 
even if it's a case of you just get a week a, a daily report yeah. of who your top users are what your top traffic is and that gets a feel of what's what's out there but these are the things that people always forget that they deploy a firewall is there is in place now there's another rant i've got to say is yeah we deploy a firewall you go and add new rules yeah go back every three months at least and go and check do you really need that rule because there's nothing worse than going to do a, a go and look at a firewall rule yeah. base and you go to that guy and you say so what's that rule for yeah, that was put in because such and such was here. Yeah, okay. oh, we're testing. No, he's yeah. there. You know, you have to be proactive. It's your front door. Yeah. I mean, your front door of your house, you don't leave the door open for because the UPS man used to deliver every Tuesday and he doesn't <laughs> anymore, do you? That would be crazy. Yeah. I think <laughs> so. Um... Very, very often on that as well, you know, people will look at the rules and say, oh, we need this rule for this business reason. But, you know, it's what we're talking about is the granularity here is like, yeah, but is the configuration right? Okay, that rule is there for that reason, but is it letting through a wide range of ports? Is it letting through a wide range of IP addresses? You know, okay, you need the rule, but maybe can you just tighten it up? Yeah. I mean, so many times I've gone and done a site audit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen, I think the worst one I went to, there was a place where they had some like 450 rules in place. Yeah. Okay, fine. I can handle 450 rules, but the, I went down the first five rules and the fir- I got to the fourth, uh, fifth rule, and it literally said from any trusted yeah. to any external doing any ports. And I said, so what's the point of all the other rules? Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to be a mindset. You've got to be able to sit. I always say a precise firewall, precise rules is better because you know what's going on. If I see that rule at the bottom that says from any to any allow what was the point of you having the firewall? You might as well just ripped it out and just taken the router and just plugged it straight into your network because that's what you've done. So a firewall is only as good as the person that's configured it, yeah. but also maintaining it, you know, and they're the things. And obviously look at your, you know, we. I, the other thing is you see people, they buy these firewalls and they buy all the services. But when it comes to deploying it, they only deploy a little bit of it. Now, firewall vendors are going to love you because you're going to sit there and say, so you bought everything. <laughs> Wrecking in the, the licensing choice. fees. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. And we're, we're off out of here. But what's the point? You buy it, use it. There's some real great technology on these firewalls nowadays. I mean, okay, yes, there's this uh, thing of uh, HTTPS. Most hacks and cracks and stuff like that is mm-hmm. all coming through via HTTPS. Yep. You know, 60, 80%. We all know that. And what do people do? They don't do deep packet inspection on HTTPS. Yeah. What's the point of that? That's where all the bad stuff's coming from. You need to do it. It doesn't take much to do. I mean, we have on our website some like two little videos that last six minutes long on how to do it and how easy it can be done. So just 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 on that then, for the for the less technical listeners, if we've got management on the line listening in who uh, know about firewalls, they've understood why we're telling them they're important. Just very briefly, what is deep packet inspection? Okay, so. As you know, when you go to the internet nowadays, you go to HTTPS, mm-hmm. you know, that's encrypted. Yep. We all know that's a padlock. So even the BBC have gone that way. I don't know why, but there you go. <laughs> Everything is HTTPS. That means it's encrypted. Now, deep packet inspection is where we actually, the firewall pretends to take the control of the traffic as it goes through. So as the client goes out to the internet, mm-hmm. it stops the connection. The firewall then makes the connection safer to the BBC web page. Mm-hmm. When the traffic comes back, it takes it and decrypts it. Now, because it's decrypted the traffic, 
it can't wrap it back up with the same certificate they got from the BBC because yeah. it's not its certificate. Yeah. So it wraps it up with its own certificate and then passes it back to the end user. Now, what that means is the end user, if he doesn't have that special certificate, he'll end up with an error going, this is not the same certificate as it's meant to be. But the beauty of it is, if you do it all correctly, the user will never see that. But it would also mean that the firewall sees all the traffic, it's decrypted it, it's virus checked it, it's sandboxed it, it's done all the good stuff to make sure you're nice and safe. Yeah. Gets rid of all the baddie bits. So the main thing for you is that, or anybody that's out there, doing it means you're protected. And the easiest way I normally say to people, because I always love when I go around places and they said, yes, we've paid for Cybersecurity Plus and we're fully certified. <laughs> And then I go to the iCar website and download the iCar via HTTP and it gets blocked. <laughs> well done. Well done, sir. And then I go to the iCar site and download it via HTTPS and it comes all the way through to the endpoint. Yeah. And it's the endpoint AV that stops it. Now, if you're doing listen to this right now and you're sitting there going, huh? Yes, go to iCar.org mm -hmm. and download try and download now the iCar virus is not a virus. It's a test virus. It's, uh, it's 128 characters. All antiviruses know that it's a test virus. It's not going to do anything malicious to you, so I'm not sending you anywhere bad. And if it comes down by HTTPS and your local antivirus on the workstation is the one that stops it, you're not doing deep packet inspection. And you want to go back to your IT person or the IT person that's listening to this going, okay, we need to change this. This is, it, it sounds yourself. like a, a really simple thing as well, especially when you say, well, if the endpoint um, antivirus, the EV is picking up, you know, somebody might hear that and say, well, what's the problem? The antivirus picked it up. But of course, that's not defense in depth, is it? It's not what you opened with yeah. those layers of security. You should be stopping no. it, you know, at the perimeter where possible and, and making it so you're not relying on that, that last line of defense. Are we like saying to me, you know, uh, in my house, you know, I will stop all bad people coming into my house. But because I don't do the deep pack inspection at my front door, I allow the bad people to come in with a gun and go into my son's room. And it's not until he goes into my son's room that he realizes they've got a gun and then he starts screaming. That's how I can put it into my head. It's sort of like, you've got to do this sort of stuff. <laughs> Probably too simplistic, but there you go. <laughs> I get the point. It's an, it's an unusual one. But yeah, the, the point is you, you stop it as far away as, as possible. Yeah. Because you don't want it on your network. The thing is, if it gets onto your network, it's game over because yeah. you don't know what else it could have done. So deep pack inspection, is it difficult? No, it's not. Look, I'm going to tell you now, mm -hmm. the way I simplify it for any IT person that's listening to this, all you've got to do is create a certificate on your AD server mm -hmm. for your firewall. So it's signed by your AD server. Bring it onto your firewall as a signed certificate. And that's what it uses. Because then what happens is all your clients as part of the domain all trust the AD server implicitly. Yep. So it's going to say that this has been signed by the AD server for the firewall. It's going to, yeah, I trust that. Thank you very much. The only ones you're going to have a little bit of fun with will be those Apple devices and those Android devices. But trust me, there's enough videos on YouTube to show you how to import the certificate. And it works. I mean, Yeah, mobile I, device I, management is a great thing as well for, for pushing oh, out yes. that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, they are, mobile device management is the god. <laughs> if you've got one, use it. <laughs> That's for sure. But it's it's these are the things that I keep trying to say to people. If you're doing this sort of security, you've got yep. the toys, use it. Protect yourself. Because, you know, I don't want to be the person that you come to and you say, Well, we were hacked. Did you have the toys? Yes. Why were you hacked? Well, well none of them were turned on. 
<laughs> None of them were turned on. Oh, that's one that's really pet peeve. You know, you go onto people's policies and you sit there and go, so you've paid for all the toys, yes. And uh, you're uh, actually not using any of it. Oh, aren't we? No. I wondered why we were able to get to this and we were oh, we, yeah. we had the virus. And <laughs> I mean, even simplistic things. There's simple things that you can do, like DNS protection on your end users. Mm -hmm. Using that sort of stuff to try and help protect. I mean, DNS protection, okay, there is the DOE system, you know, DNS. Uh, DNS over HTTPS, which yeah. is we're waiting for the world to decide which way they're going to go. But look, <laughs> DNS protection is a great way of protecting maybe people when they're working from home as well. Yeah. You know, it's a way of actually saying, yes, you can go to this website. No, you can't go to this website. Now, if you go for the cleverest ones, I mean, we've got one called DNS Go, which is actually um, allows you to actually do phishing protection as well, because we all know phishing is not good. And we actually try and say we're trying to protect people and educate them as well. Yeah. Because as we know, educating users is always a tough thing. You know, you sit them on a course for three days and whatever. They all sit there, sort of saying they take it and they all go away. And, uh, you know, it's uh, when they come back and they sit there going, well, did you listen to what they said? Uh, yeah. But if you can educate them at the time when the hack happens or when they click on something, yeah. it's a great way of educating users. I love that. That's what I see. That's a big thing because, you know, when you're teaching them in isolation, you're teaching them basically, it's like, oh, you know, this is what a phishing attack is. This is how it might work. There's a lot of variation there kind of thing. There's not always a very good kind of uh, practical assessment to make sure that that user understood that. I've seen some companies try and do like questionnaires at the end to see if people listened and those kinds of things, but a lot of that stuff yeah. is quite ineffective. Whereas if you if you build in, as you say here, the protection of you know you're protecting the user against the phishing attack by using a more secure DNS alternative, and also taking the opportunity to educate them and say, hey, you know what, you got this one wrong, but let us let us show you uh, what what the problem was, and then you can be some more secure next time around. I mean, you look at the way that phishing has gone, how it's evolved. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first lot of phishing had grammatical errors, spelling errors, yeah. uh, icons that looked a bit dodgy and ropey. I mean, and now, well, I'm dyslexic. So mm -hmm. for me, spelling is always going to be tricky. Yeah. I'll, I'll read words, for even if they're spelled wrong, back to front, upside down. I don't care. Grammatical, I'm not that bothered about. Yeah. But that's not the way, that's how my brain works. Mm -hmm. But... The way some of these phishing emails are coming out, they're looking so real. Yeah. I mean, you you get getting to the point where you have to check the address. So it's getting harder for the user to actually work out, is that phishing or not real? You know, you have to think of, well, am I expecting that email? Yeah. And you're going to get it wrong now and again. I'm not going to lie to anyone. You know, I've clicked on, you know, the test ones, they come into us, they test us. On. Yeah. I've been caught out once or twice. Hands up, bad boy. But it wasn't that I was doing intentionally. It literally was I looked at it and I was being that typical user on my phone going, uh-huh, 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 click, oh, crud. You know, like, you're busy. Of... You've got things to do. You've got like a job that you're trying to do. Yeah. So just having that sort of protection and saying, right, dude, you actually went to a phishing site. This is how you could spot yeah. what was wrong with this. And I'm going to go away from that going, okay, yeah, you got a point on that one. One of my favorite things with the, the security awareness training is as well, where, where companies don't necessarily validate that the customer, the end user, like understood what it was that was being said to them. I remember um, dealing with one company once where the, the um, security uh, instructor was teaching, you know, you need to parse the URL to make sure it's safe. And the, the users are all nodding and like, yes, yes, very good. Parse the URL. And then you stop them. It's like, 
Can you describe to me what either of those words mean? It's like, do you know what a URL is? Do you know what pausing is? And then, you know, quickly, quickly find out that. Users, you know, we as, as, as technical people, we, we deal with web addresses. We, we deal with URLs very, very frequently. We can spot the expected structure. We can spot things like where a threat actor is using a subdomain. So, you know, it's like uh, google.com.example.com kind of thing. So they're trying to use a subdomain to, to hide the actual origin, those kinds of things. We, we spot them because we understand what's going on. But sometimes yeah. it can be quite um, difficult to, to get a, a user to that level of being able to spit, to spot the tricks. It's, it's the thing is the users are also, um, it's not their main job. Mm-hmm. Their main job may be that they're great with numbers and they're an accountant. Trust me, I couldn't be an accountant to save my life. I'd, I'd probably get my <laughs> tax things all wrong. But it's one of those things of they have their specialities and trying to educate them is always going to be hard yeah. because maybe they'll take interest in it. Or if I know anything like some of my friends, haven't got a Scooby, not interested. So you still got to have that way of actually trying to keep that awareness going, but keeping it in a way that they're not going to go, oh, here we go, IT's back again. Yeah. That's the last thing you want, you know, because we are normally seen as the ones, the party poopers, and we're not party poopers. We're trying to protect you. And when I actually sit down with my friends and I talk to them what I actually do and the passion comes mm-hmm. out, they say, <laughs> your job's quite exciting, really, isn't it? I say, yeah. well, I have exciting days and I have boring days like everyone else, <laughs> but I... I'm sure you, Holly, you would agree. Is the same. You have days where you sit and go, really. But yes, it's 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 trying to. Uh, if I can impart a little bit of knowledge onto somebody, that makes them more wiser and and they yep. protect themselves that bit better. It's a good day. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing from a from a business point of view of just understanding that you can't expect everybody to be an expert. And whilst we talk about defense in depth or a layered approach to security for firewalling, we opened with you know firewalling the perimeter, firewalling throughout the network to, to enable segmentation. We're talking about the same thing here, aren't we? We're talking about using features of the firewall to block known phishing websites, untrusted websites, potentially malicious websites. And then also, whilst doing that, educating the user so that they can spot the, the odd one or two that, that slips through as well. So it's, it's just a defense in depth, but involving a human. Yeah, it's and this is where... I think if there's anything anyone needs to take away, the firewall is no longer just that box that sits in the corner and allows ports through and does the VPN bits. It does an awful lot more. If your firewall is just still that firewall that just allows ports in and ports out and does the VPNs, one, you're probably running a Cisco ASA and time to wake up, you need a new box. Two, you need to really start looking at your firewall and using it properly because these are the days where people need to start waking up and realizing that the, the you know, the, the hacks that are out there, the, they're, they're, they're getting really imaginative. Yeah. So we have to use these different ways to try and protect ourselves. You just uh, reminded me of something there as well, of course. The, the problem of uh, companies or, or even IT departments having the firewall being a box in the corner that they forget about customers working with uh, recently, their firewall was end of life. It's like no longer supported by the vendor. And when I raised that with them, they went, oh, I guess we have had that for quite a while. It's <laughs> just like literally it had been configured. It blocked some traffic. They never looked at it again. And it turns out that support had ended a, a year or two before before the audit. See, there's the thing. So someone says to me, says, well, why should I buy a new firewall? Yep. And I said, they're going, okay, I'm going to ask you the same question. How old is your phone? I bought it last year. Why did you buy a new phone? Uh, because it was the new iPhone. 
But what was it different from your previous iPhone that you had? Mm -hmm. You still made phone calls, you still did text, you still could surf, and you could take photos on it. Well, uh, because it was um, um, faster. So why do you need a firewall? It's because you need a faster firewall because you get, your network is getting faster. Yeah. You want to protect yourself more. And this is something that drives me nuts is when people sit there and they look at their boxes and they're going, well, my ASA is doing everything I wanted to do. And I'm sure there's not just ASAs, there's other boxes out there as well. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to pick on Cisco. But Should we bully Juniper for a bit instead? Yeah, oh, Juniper. <laughs> Don't, don't get, take me down that path. But it's, it's one of those things that we have to explain to people that, you know, firewalls only have an, a finite amount of time to live. Yeah. Why? Because the technology is moving so fast. Well, even even if you, you know, review it and decide that, that your firewall has the feature set that you need, um, you should be doing that. You should be aware of what features does your firewall have, what features do the new, uh, this generation of firewalls have. And okay, if there's if there's nothing particularly groundbreaking this time around, that might be fine. Maybe you just need some more capacity or some speed, like you mentioned a second ago. But you should at least do the review, right? You should should at least look exactly. at what are you using and what is available now. It's your front door. I keep sort of harping <laughs> on about your front door, but I have to try and get it into the mindset of people that your front door, if it had a sort of a bit of hole and the hinges were a little bit creaky and stuff like that, you'd do something about it. And this is why I always say to you, look, your firewall is one of those key things. It is probably the most, one of the most important bits of kit you're going to have that you'll never actually sing its praises for. Yeah. Because as you walk out of that office tonight, you'll turn off that switches. You might be clever and turn your Wi-Fi off. And I hope people do. Please don't have transmit it to a not schedule that. when I get that's when I get excited. My little pineapples, when I have insomnia, when I used to travel, I yeah. never have fun with that. But the thing is, you turn your switches off, turn the lights off, turn off the computers. But your firewall is still left on trying to protect you. You say, you say actually, uh, turning the Wi-Fi off when you leave the office at night or, or having it scheduled so it's shut down outside of work hours. How many people do you think actually shut their Wi-Fi down during the oh, work-from-home global pandemic when nobody's in the office for months and months? Oh, I I put a major post out to people. If you're going back to the office, yeah, people are going back to the office now. Do me a big favor. When you get back into the office, change your SSID password now. Yeah. Why? Because for the last five months, your office has been unmanned, unprotected. And I'm going to tell you now, there's people like me that have got these little pineapples that have been mm -hmm. going around capturing all the data they need and decrypted all these lovely passwords ready for you to go back. Yeah. So if anything, make sure you change your password. You may sit there going, it's a ball ache because when the guys come back into the office, they're going to ask me what the password. So what? That's the perfect time to stop the people that should be using the Wi-Fi, you that are trying to use the Wi-Fi. In fact, one of the things I keep saying to people is that the Wi-Fi is probably the one area that people think that they've got it secured because they put a password on it. Now, Holly, you know. Yeah, oh, I know. gosh. This is, this is the thing. Pa Password-based Wi-Fi, pre-shared keys, PS keys. Um, the, the, the problem there is if you have a single password that's shared across all devices, if any one of those devices gets compromised, or sometimes not even compromised, you just you know fire a member of staff and they become disgruntled before you get them out of the building, they know what that password is. So not only is there a security risk there, but it's also really inconvenient of, okay, a member of staff's left. Now we have the administrative overhead of changing the password on all devices. Just like use something better. Use network access control, 802.1x, you know, use uh, digital yes. certificates or something. There's a lot of options there that are just better than passwords. And that's it. It's one of these things off that, yeah, it, the, 
the problem we have nowadays is passwords. Why? I mean, um, Hack Five have just about to really, have just released their yep. Mark Five pineapple. Yeah, yeah. It's three times, four times the speed of the previous pineapple. Now, my previous pineapple, I took all over the world with me. You know, I used to use it in airports, trying yep. to see if I could do evil twin attacks. Some I posted some videos and stuff like that. But the thing is, it shows how easy Wi-Fi can be cracked. And some of the biggest names in the industry, not in the industry, but out there, household yeah. names, you know, easily can come to it because they just transmit and they're not got anything to protect the Wi-Fi. Either they just, you know, and this is why I'd love to say to people, look, if you're going back to the office, change that PPS, change that password. Yeah. Why? Because you're... you're it, you don't know if someone has actually found a backdoor into your network even, or because you're Even just on that, though, it, it links back to what you mentioned earlier of, you know, a network segmentation, having firewalling around the network. Don't trust your Wi-Fi. You know, if, <laughs> if a device is on the Wi-Fi, um, you should have segmentation so that it can't access everything at a network level. So that, you know, you have some some filtration, some access control list, those kinds of things. You know, stop thinking about the, the perimeter as being so far away. It should be internal to the network. It should be a layered approach. And the other thing is, with the Wi-Fi, people forget. I mean, I don't know if anyone's seen Mr. Robot, but, you know, you just need that little Pringle can. And I can be sat in that car park, you know, the car that no one ever really takes any notice of. Yeah. And I'm capturing your data. I mean... The other one that makes me laugh is the guest Wi-Fi. People have a guest Wi-Fi, and what they'll do is they'll say, oh, yes, you just use the guest Wi-Fi. There you go. There's a password. Mm -hmm. I put it into my computer. And guaranteed, that password has not changed for two to three years. And I go yeah, back. Longer in some cases. And I'm, I'm in. You know, use vouchers on your guests. If they want to use your Wi-Fi, make sure the Wi-Fi times out after five hours. I wonder, I wonder how many organizations that, that we have been to, you know, as the, as the traveling consultant, that that organization still hasn't changed their password. How many, how many times you've been on site for a legitimate reason, working with a customer through an audit or something like that, and then you still have access to that network? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can probably more or less guarantee, you know, 80% easy will still have the same passwords. Yeah. Something, something that I, I mentioned, uh, I think I brought it up recently in the podcast, but just in case I didn't, a lot of organizations will look at the guest wireless and be like, why is this a problem? It's just a pipe out to the internet or something like that. And what I very often find at organizations is um, the, the guest Wi-Fi isn't the risk. What it might be is, you know, uh, members of staff's laptop physically cabled into the corporate network, but also joined to the guest Wi-Fi, bridging those two networks. And then, oh, no, 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 please never, never do that. But you, you'd be surprised how many people I've caught doing that. Yeah. You know, all the time. Ease. Yeah. And see, there's the, oh, now you've got, now you've got me going. Well, sometimes, right. sometimes the organization don't, don't even know because no. that, that um, staff member's laptop's connected to the guest Wi-Fi for something. Maybe they connected, connected it to the guest Wi-Fi when they first built it so they could get it, all of its updates and its patches and things like that before they connected it to the corporate. Then they plugged it into the corporate network but never removed the guest Wi-Fi network's password. So now it just connects to both. See, they should always put a guest Wi-Fi on a DMZ, the demilitarized zone yeah. off the file. Now, for those that don't know... The DMZ is basically an interface on the firewall that's separate to the trusted network. So it can be hard-coded off what it can do and what it can't do. Now, I wrote an article many years ago mm -hmm. saying people have forgotten what a DMZ was used for. Yeah. 
and that we should go back to using it. It used to be the case, that's where you would put your Exchange server, that's where you put your web server and stuff like that. What's over time has happened, people have started to bring it in-house and use VLANs and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the demilitarized zone should be somewhere where you can put stuff that is has no touching whatsoever to your local network. Yeah. So anything insecure should happen, it's not going to affect you. And these are just other tips that people should be putting in place that when you look at when you're designing your network when you're looking at your you know your network diagram on that visio mm -hmm. yep. side of things and going this is my network this is what i've taken over always put a demilitarized zone in because then you can actually put things like guest part guest wi-fi on yep. that guest wi-fi you don't trust them remember it's not your machine you don't know whether they've got a virus on there you don't know they've got something malicious on there last thing you want is touching your network I mean, there's one of the things. Second thing, you want to make sure that, as we said, no flat network. That's the worst thing we ever yep. do is have a flat network. And it's so common. Or where, where they think they have segmentation, but it's very, very basic. You know, like, yeah. uh, or the, uh, the phones are on their own VLAN and everything else is together. It's just like <laughs> everything other than a phone is together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, segregate it out, but make sure it all goes up to the firewall so you can actually see what's going on. So if you needed to, you can actually visualize and see the traffic what's going on. And then bringing it up to that other thing is visualization. Yeah. Be able to look at those firewall logs in a way that you can understand graphically, whatever mm -hmm. it is, to be able to understand what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that you have to sit there and absorb those logs every day because that's the most boring job. Trust me, I did it. You don't <laughs> want to do that. But you must be able to understand what's on your network. You've got to understand. And also understanding what devices you have on your network. Yeah. I mean, we have a network discovery tool that basically goes off and finds all the devices on the VLANs, on the network, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So you can actually understand which devices are actually physically connected. Because you don't know when someone takes a little thumb drive style Wi-Fi device and plugs it onto your network. If you don't keep an eye on that, you're yeah. not going to know about it. So these are the things that you have to bear in mind. You know, what it takes is the boss to sit there and he's got his new laptop that isn't the corporate one and decides to plug it in or his son comes in with his laptop and yeah. plugs it in and he's got the virus. Are you going to tell the MD off? <laughs> no, <laughs> but you also have to be aware of it. And network control lists, all those sort of things, you know, access control lists. So, so totally crucial. Yeah. On I think I think it is, it is such a big point around, you know, um, observability or visibility of... Um, you know, blocking it is one thing, but but, but knowing it happened is a, is another. And um, it's not feasible these days with the number of devices that organizations have and the amount of traffic that, that's going through to have a human sit down and, and look at the logs. And if a human can get through the logs, then you're probably not logging to a granular enough level. Um, so, so looking at, you know, how would we know if a threat actor is on the network doing something bad? It's one thing to block the malicious software with your host-based antivirus, but you'd want to know how did that get there. Or if, you know, we break into a building doing a physical access assessment and we plug something in, you want to know that that, that device was, uh, in the very least, unexpected. And if we start doing things like port scanning, if we start doing things like client-to-client -client traffic, you want to know about it. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you don't, if you just sit there and play that blasé role of, well, I... Yeah. I spent thousands on my firewall protection. I spent thousands on this and I've just got it all installed and that's it. And I walk away. Yeah. Well done. Tell you, tell you a good uh, example. It's, it's, um, it's, a bit, it's a bit different, but I think it's the kind of thing that people all understand. I was doing a physical access assessment. This is months ago now. This is pre-coronavirus. And uh, walked up to a, a door with a mag lock 
you know, you know, use an RFID card. We have a little device that uh, can brute force those RFID keys. Uh, the the common kinds of cards aren't as anywhere near as secure as people think they are. Um, hold the device to the door. It starts brute forcing um, pin numbers. Eventually, it'll, it'll get to a valid pin number. The door will unlock. You hear it because of the maglock. Typically takes three, four, five minutes. It's not very a very long period of time. So we're in this office. We're not supposed to be there. And we hold this device up to the door. And the door, every time it thinks a card is being held up to it, it beeps. So the door is beeping consistently for five minutes. Eventually opens. We walk into the office and there is people in the office. And then you just look around and go, just testing. And then walk away. As if like, the oh, just testing. It just it, get away with everything. Um, and, it, yeah. and it's the same thing. It's like if that kind of thing happens, you would expect that the security team would get a notification. Even if it's not a security notification, you think they get a notification that says 60,000 people just tried to walk into the office and they might take some action on that. It's the same thing from a network level. If you are having you know, the, these activities, potentially malicious activities, you want somebody to be told about that. And it isn't necessarily something that's, that's patently malicious, something that is, that is obviously malicious, just unusual traffic. You got, and that's it. You've got to have the, you've got, as I said, get some reports, daily reports, yep. even if it's just that sharp overview to make you realise what is normal. <laughs> you just reminded me on that on that test. Uh, you said daily reports. Um, we found out at the end of that engagement where we brute forced all of the doors. Uh, they did get reports. They got them weekly. So a week after we'd been on site, one of the uh, security team got an email of just like. Everything that we've done, it's like the biggest email he's ever received is just all of the brute forcing that, that we tried to do a week what's after the, we'd left. Well, I mean, what's the point of weekly? Weekly is gone. It's like uh, I say to people, you know, you know, if you think that I'm going to hack you at, uh, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon when I can come back at three o'clock in the morning and you're not going to see that I'm long gone. Yeah. Three o'clock, I'm at... I'm there. I'm there's that. There's also. There's also. So not only you know hacking it at three o'clock in the morning. There is specifically picking points in time that are difficult for your organisation to deal with. Look at the Travelex breach, for example. The the first visible activity, December thirty first, New Year's Eve. Like yes. they're on a skeleton crew. There's most people away for the holidays. That kind of thing. You know, threat actors can pick these times to perform these actions, knowing that either you'll be you'll be understaffed, or uh, you know. Maybe people are full of uh, holiday food and chocolate and, and are not really paying the same level of attention that they should. Or they're just bored because the two people that you've got covering the office from a security point of view are thinking about Christmas and New Year's and not thinking about network security. And that's, that's very true. You, you have to think of people, you know, you've got to, you've got to be aware of these things because... I mean, I remember when I first started in IT, <laughs> yep. it was a very simple affair of, what a firewall did yeah it was a very simple affair of you know basic logging was needed why because we just wanted to see what's going on yeah nowadays the amount of data these firewalls can give you but it's not just i mean a lot of people look at files in the wrong way and they always look at it as i want to block my users from going to facebook well in fact you should be looking i want my firewall to actually protect me mm-hmm. and i also want to know why i need to block them for facebook you know, there, there is some um, people have to change their ethos on what a firewall is yeah. because it's changed in my time in the sense of it's no longer just that port blocking thing. Yeah, it's that layer protection. It, and if you've got those layers, use them. If the firewall can't cope to have all those things on, you've got the wrong box. Yeah. You know, size it correctly, have the right box that has it. So you can turn these functions on because they're there for a reason. That's firewall vendors don't just put this stuff on there because 
oh, you know what, for a laugh and a joke, we're going to add a new service on there. We're yeah. thinking to try and protect you against all these things. We get tested all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NSS labs last year, we, us and Palo Alto were the only two to actually have 100% obfuscation. We actually were the top two. We were mm-hmm. really proud. And that's because our engineers are sitting there constantly trying to stop the bad people from coming in. And that's why we add these all these security services. Yeah. So if you have a box and you're only using 50% of the security services, think of it. You only got 50% protection is another way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, step one is just like, do, do you even know what the list of features your firewall has is? You know, if you're using an access controller, yes. so what else can it do? We've mentioned all kinds of things today, URL filtering, DNS protection, antivirus. I mean, network segmentation or kits access controllers. But, you know, are, are people using these features? I think that step one is what can your firewall do? What can um, competing models do? You know, do you have the, the best device available? You know, or is yours uh, five years out of date or worse, no longer supported by the vendor? Take a look at that list and then take a look at how many of those features you're actually using especially if you're already paying for them. Yeah. Well, that's it. You wouldn't do that at home, would you? I mean, we'd, we'd all buy... I'm sure most people sit there, if they've got Sky, they'll sit there and they'll watch all the different things. Well, I like to think they do. <laughs> but, you know, if you're paying for it, use it. Yeah. Because it's there for your security, for sure. But, no. Ah, awesome. Sweet. I think that is, like, the grand overview of all of the firewall features, isn't it? Was there anything that, that you wanted to mention or anything you think we've missed? Uh, well, look, all I'd like to say to people is, look, come and find me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, Martin Lethbridge is my full name. I'm the senior sales engineer for WatchGuard UK and Ireland. Come to WatchGuard.com. Have a look at our service. You know, we have a core sets, firewalls, you know, MFA, and we have secure Wi-Fi. But, I mean, if anything, hope you take something from this and use it because, you know, but come find me on LinkedIn, definitely. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> well, Martin... Thanks for being on the show. I hope you had a good time. And um, for everyone listening in, uh, grab Martin on, on LinkedIn. Obviously, follow us on, on all of the social media. If you think there's anything that we've missed, let us know. Drop either Martin or myself a message. And maybe if, if we've missed something big, we'll do a, do a part two. But Martin, thanks. No, thank you very much, Holly. And uh, look, everyone, stay safe.